0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get real with Coach Menachem show Sunday nights. originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people.
1: Okay everybody, welcome tonight. We're starting tonight is our 14th year that we're having. And Baruch Hashem, it's doing really well. The program is really exploding. We have a, quite a few uh, interesting things to discuss. I want to welcome everybody. Remember, everything tonight has been recorded. It's an open platform. This this program has been advertised all over the place. So please keep in mind, you have people from all walks of life, from 613, some not, and it's an open program. So please keep that in mind. Um, tonight we have a very special program tonight, starting with Rebashai Cohen from Five Towns. And uh, Dr. Moshe Miller, I'm going to have to give a little disclosure here. Dr. Miller is my brother-in-law. So... Everybody might think there's a little nepotism here, but the truth is he's very highly qualified and uh, it should be a very dynamic program and we're looking forward. Okay, and he's frozen. So hopefully get on frozen, Dr. Miller. <laughs> First, I wanna thank our sponsors this week. I would like to thank the Lakewood Scoop for sponsoring us every week. He's been sponsoring us, he's been promoting us out there and we really appreciate it. And uh, again, I want to say thank you for that. I'd like to thank, say thank you to Robbie and Yaniv from Chazak, who's been very behind our program. We offer programming for children the teens, singles, couples, millennials, baby boomers. If our cherished seniors, Chazak offers program for all. For more information, please be part of the revolution. Visit Hazak.org. This week, one of our sponsors is JCN Network, which is Hayla Kaufman and Shmuel, her assistant. And they actually promoted the, the program today uh, and I really appreciate it. And thank you for getting it out there so people should know about it. So again, let's just start with the opening remarks from our coach Menachem. And Menachem, hope you don't have anxiety, but if you do, it's the perfect program. So you'll open up, and after you're done, please pass it back to me.
0: Thank you, thank, thank you. you.
1: One second before we start, I wanted to say another thing. Tonight's year is going to be learned El Mishmas. Everybody that that is gets any chizik from it and any aliyah it should be for two very special people. Actually, both related to Dr. Miller. One is his father, Tovia Ben Baruch Yosef El Nishmasim, is my and the other one is actually Dr. Miller's father-in-law, Yeshua Shalom Ben David Yirmiyahu. And the Shalom have tremendous amount of aliyah from this, and hopefully we're in chazik hundreds of people on tonight, and thousands as the video goes out. Coach Menachem, please take it away.
0: Thank you very much. Welcome again, everyone, to another show, to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. And I wanna welcome Rabbi Cohn and Dr. Miller. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I thank you all for showing up tonight, yep. and, and for all the feedback the questions, all the suggestions that you send in, the ideas that everybody's emailing, constructive criticism, all the engagement of you listeners is what gives us the energy, the excitement to another show. So tonight's topic, dealing with anxiety, the truth is we really had a session on anxiety and it was very informative. And if you wanna listen to the recording it's available on MenachemBernfeld.com where you'll find all the recordings from the past shows. But tonight we are taking it to the next level. Many out there wonder what anxiety is and they claim that they are fine. They don't have any anxiety. So the truth is there are many levels of anxiety from a simple level people for people to grow in life, in order to take the next step. Many people have a hard time just going out there, getting out of their comfort zone because of whatever fear they have. And they'll find a little bit of anxiety over there. For them, they can hire a coach that will show them and maybe push them to take that step. They'll feel the anxiety and then after they actually take the step, they're surprised that they're actually capable of doing it. They were able to face their fear, and surprisingly get things done, and then they'll be ready to do the next, face the next fear. Then there's the anxiety of, especially in today's days, of what's going on in the world, all of the uncertainty, not knowing where all this is going, and uh, what tomorrow will look like. And the, the truth is then there are, there are anxieties that will cause anxiety, called anxiety disorders. And uh, that can completely take over someone's life, which hopefully we'll have the doctor tonight help us out with that a little bit. So I'm very grateful to have with us tonight Rabbi Kohn, who is coming with years of experience in many different fields, and his Cheshavah Talmud, the doctor, Dr. Miller. And hopefully, with Hashem's help, we'll get some clarity and different ideas on how to deal with anxiety. And again, we might not be able to get rid of all the anxiety tonight, but don't be anxious about that. Sometimes we do have a little bit of anxiety, and hopefully we'll be able to take the next step that we need to serve Hashem and live our fullest and not feel paralyzed from all those fear and anxiety. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Coach Menachem. It was a beautiful opening. Again, let's just review a little bit tonight's share before we start bringing the the guest speakers on tonight. Um, Tonight's share is discussing Amun to Rabbi Shai Cohen, slash anxiety. They really work hand in hand. We're trying to really get a deeper understanding of both of them, see how they're intertwined see any tips that we can get from Rabbi Cohen and from Dr. Miller. And uh, I think it should be interesting to try to weigh them against one another besides Rabbi Talmud's situation over here. It should be very interesting. So First, I want to uh, introduce my my brother-in-law again, Dr. Miller. I'll read his bio. Dr. Miller is a licensed clinical psychologist. He lives in Baltimore, Maryland. He specializes in providing evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy and works in the VA hospital in Washington treating veterans with PTSD. In private practice, he specializes in treating individuals with OCD and anxiety disorders. Dr. Miller, one question before you start. The question is people want to know what the difference is between a Ph.D. and a, a Psy.D. Can you please explain that?
2: Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're very similar. It's kind of like MD, DO. Um, both are doctorates in clinical psychology, or they can be in clinical psychology, and both we take the same classwork, we do the same internships and postdocs. The difference is that uh, a Ph.D. focuses more on research, it's the Boulder model, PsyDs focus more on clinical, it's the Bale model. But, um, PhDs usually take a couple years more and focus more on research, but we do the same practicums and we have the same jobs. Um, if you want to be a professor or a teacher in a university, you'll usually do a PhD. If you're sure you want to be a clinician, you do a side D, and then there's overlap between both. So.
1: Thank you for the clarity. Yeah, I'm good? You're good, now go. On? Okay. Teachers about anxiety. Teachers about anxiety.
2: So, <sighs> um, I think there's three bumper stickers, or refrigerator magnets everyone should have. One is, uh, don't believe everything you think. Second is, thought happens. And the third is, it's easier to act your way into new ways of thinking than think your ways into new, think yourself into new ways of acting. And, you know, I know we have a few minutes now, and then there's going to be questions and different things. I hope um, in a little bit and thinking about like what would be helpful because I did listen to the OCD anxiety um, and those guys, fantastic they hit on the head. You know, we do the same type of work and they gave so many um, good tools and good you know ideas and exposure and mindfulness and you know body relaxation stuff. And so in talking with Usher tonight, you know, I said what what's going to be the difference? And I think there's going to be two main differences. Um, one is my abilities here and uh, we get to hear and understand how the side of where we talk on and the incredible incredibly powerful way that can reduce anxiety and there's been tons of research David Rosman, who was on here a couple weeks ago has done tons of research into this um, I remember a few when I first met him we were talking about this and I was telling him I was shiva, um, and he' was, you know saying you know you all give this program and here's what we like it's like in Yeshiva, you know, with Muslim and 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 going into it and all these different things. And he's like, Oh, you, you don't need my program. Like that's 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 what it is. It's just trying to weaponize the tough one in a serial. So um, I remember that conversation very clearly. walking to a restaurant from the conference. Um, so 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 that's that's one thing, is is kind of like holding both sides, like the aspect and where that where that is just like huge like a such a powerful piece, and then hoping to add like the the CBT, the evidence-based treatment side of things for, um, where maybe there's an anxiety disorder, maybe Bitochon is not either enough or it's being used in a way that's unhelpful or it's just playing into the cycle of of anxiety in the wrong way or an unhelpful way. So basically my hope is to do that. and And secondly, to demystify anxiety, like just talk a little bit now in this introduction about what is anxiety, right? That's, it's a word, it's an experience, but to me, very different for everyone, um, or not very different, but different, to talk about the process of anxiety. Because again, listen to the last year if you want to hear like really amazing tools and kind of getting in there with different questions. So, my hope is again, on a higher level, just like zoom out a little bit like, what's the cycle? And I think that's a really important piece of understanding what is going on for you, right? Instead of just throwing tools at yourself or at others. And then, lastly, to to know that when, like, when it would be when it would make sense to seek help and what that might look like, right? Um, if you're doing the type of therapy that um, we do in kind of the CBT world, second and third wave CBT, it's very different than what you might do if you just go to a regular typical therapist where you're going to talk and understand, the, you know, where things come from and you know validation and all these very important things. A therapeutic relationship or maybe um, you know digging in the past. Or I we've had a lot of conversations about that. Um, to paraphrase Mirabi's like doesn't necessarily feel we should do open heart surgery and leave the body open for five years. Um because there might be infections in that time. So if you're gonna do therapy, do the do the work and get in, get out and fix if there's a disorder. Anyway, so that's my hope. Um, I do want to say one of the one of the tools, one of the things you heard in the past is um, that the various uh, there's various things you can you can take for yourself so you can write down things that you're grateful for you can a lot of tools and one thing one powerful tool is a cars of and i want to take a second now um, first either either i'll be quoting people all night and that'll be annoying um, and i'll miss out the chance to express my cars i talk to the people who i learned everything that i have from so first of all uh Barry Cohen obviously was here right chaplet's and rich my other other Abaim, um, dr leigh litman and turo uh, my professors in Loyola, Dr. Kirkhart, Dr. Papadakis, Dr. Jacobson, mentored me and supervised me. Dr. Sally Winston, whose books I'm going to rip stuff right out of tonight. So if you've read her books or you want, read her books, you'll, you'll know exactly where I'm going with things because um, she taught me as a practicum student, as a postdoc, and she's real a real mumcha. Um, Carl Robbins and Mike Hetty and others at ASDI, um, the VA mentors, all, all of my supervisors there, Dr. Carlin. Dr. Uh, Cortell, the and then my Javier a peer consultation group we used to have here, and then Javier might talk to now and consult with um, dovi Chaim, avi Eric, Yosef, all the guys um, uh, so i just want to say thank you to everyone for this is where i 've gotten all, all the things that i 'm going to share with you tonight and try to um, be helpful talking about anxiety so again we, you heard you heard a lot about how everyone needs anxiety anxiety is normal and you know, with the question is, when does it become abnormal? So I thought maybe I'd zoom out a little bit and talk about the the place where we think, when we think about where anxiety comes from, how we think about it in the CBT world versus, you know, maybe how you might think about it in just like other ways. Um, and then speak a little bit about um, using, using uh, one of Dr. Winston's um, to really kind of get into the process. And so the way we, um, Think about, or the way one of the ways I think about through the evidence-based, you know, uh, lens is the biopsychosocial model, and so and someone's actually added biopsychosocial spiritual to that. There's been recent researchers that have done that, Um, and so but the basics are biological, you know, genetics and the biology of your body and your brain. Um, What's going on there that is going to contribute? What they call it, you know, I'm going to use a lot of uh, colloquialisms, just uh, you know lay terms, I'm called sticky brain, right? People have sticky brains, and I'm talking, again, on the disordered side, because again, you heard a lot about anxiety, like in general, like a typical person has anxiety or coronavirus, it makes, it makes me anxious, right? But I wanna shift a little bit to like the, when things are out of whack and the, the typical coping isn't working, right? There needs to be something more understood and treated. And so um, that's the biological, right? And those, those things are kind of what your body's doing. And some people, no matter how much you stress them out, they're not gonna become, you're not gonna have an anxiety disorder. And some people with even moderate or mild stress, it's just part of their, their body and their brain. Then there's the psychological, the way you think, the way you interact with your thoughts, the way you relate to your thoughts, the way you think about your thoughts, right? And that's some of what the bumper stickers don't believe everything you think, thoughts happen, thought happens, right? And, and so that's, that's a lot of the work, the cognitive work. And that's the C in the cognitive behavior, right? So the cognitive work. And depending if you're a second or third waiver, you might argue with thoughts, or you might try to relate differently to thoughts, etc. But that's the that's the that's the in your mind, right? The the stuff in your in your brain. And then the social. There's the experiences that you have, the stuff that's around you, the experiences that you had in your life, the experiences that are happening right now, the people around you, right? Those are the things that impact you. So someone who didn't grow up from is not gonna have OCD about, you know. You know, the diet, like washing uh, and, and making sure their hands are dry perfectly, and did I get every? Because that's not in their social. They, they don't, that, that's not where their sticky brain is going to land. Right, it lands on things that are important to you. Right, so they might have a safety uh, OCD or germs or cleaning or whatever it is. Right, so your social really is the content is the is the way in which your if you have a sticky brain and you have the type of thinking that would promote an anxiety disorder, that's how it's going to kind of manifest, right? And then there's a the spiritual, there's finding meaning and connecting to Hashem. We're going to talk, right? Cohen take that. But that's kind of the model, right? Very general. And so the, the muscle that Sally Winston gives in her, in one of her books is, you know, you have a bunch of people on a plane, okay? And you take, uh, if you could, you know, x-ray them, you could see what's going on for them. They all have the same body sensations going on. They're all sweating. They're all having their heart racing. They have tightness in their chest. They're all, you know, a little bit jittery and they feel uneasy. Maybe they're, they're squirming. All of them, right? You got 20 people. And you might say, they're all anxious, right? They all have anxiety, right? Look, that's, that's the symptoms of anxiety, right? And she points out that, well, that might be true that they all have the same body sensations. We actually know very little about what's going on for them because one person is going to Disneyland. And he is excited and those body sensations are the same right as the person who's anxious so he's he's, he's on the edge of a seat he's happy right you ask him i'm pumped right then you have the person who's going to meet his in-laws for the first time and he's anxious he doesn't an anxiety disorder but he should he's reasonably anxious then you have the 65 year old immunocompromised person who has been in his house for four months during coronavirus and he's on a plane and he's also anxious right he'd say i'm i'm, I'm very worried i'm anxious he doesn't have an anxiety disorder either. He's just, that's, that's appropriate for that person to have like some vigilance. You know, the person coughs and I'm going to wear my mask. He's also anxious, right? We still don't have anyone with a disorder yet,
3: right?
2: Even though they all got their anxiety out of 10 is at a, is at a 8.5, right? Or the body sensations anyways, like nine. They're, they're red, their body is, okay? But then you take, then you have a person who has a phobia of flying. Right, and they're thinking about how the plane's gonna crash and how their kids are gonna be a SOMIM, and they're gonna, you know, burn in a fiery ball of you know, just every time the plane shakes, like they're 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 saying to him, right? They're they're anxious, right? Phobia. If someone with generalized anxiety, they're not thinking about the airplane, they're worried about their taxes, and they're worried about what's coming next, and they're worried about, you know, did they did they forget to, you know, to call that person before the flight and they're making lists and they're they're you know. They've got generalized anxiety disorder. You've got someone with social phobia. They're looking around. Do people see that I'm sweating? Do people see that I'm anxious? You know, I, I better hold still. I better try to look normal. Like, I don't, want, I don't want to embarrass myself, right? I can be very careful, right? Then you've got the guy with OCD and he's germs and coronavirus and he's washing and he's sanitizing for the 47th time, and, right? And that's, that's why he has all these body sensations. And not, uh, right? The guy with PTSD. He was under search and rescue for airplanes when he was in the military and he's thinking about that time in the past, right? He's not thinking about the airplane crashing. He's not thinking about the future. He's thinking about the past and he's having this, this intense emotional reaction, right? So all the, the 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 same body sensations, the same thing going on, but different diff, different disorders, different processes. And that's what I want to get at is that what's so important with anxiety is understanding the process. What's happening for you? Is it disordered? Is it not disordered? Okay. That's that's a that's a question, right? And that's a question for a professional maybe, depending on, right, if it's distressing enough, it's getting in the way of your life and all the things that we've heard about it already, uh, but understanding the process, understanding what is coming up and what do I do in response to that, and how does that either take me towards my values or away from my values, right? If you're an acceptance commitment uh, therapy person, act, third wave CBT, right? Like that, the changing the relationship to my thoughts. So if you don't understand the process, if you're just like, I'm interested, uh, I don't know, I'm, right? If, you, you, we don't, if we don't know where to start, because we don't understand the process, we don't understand what is the actual trigger. Is it the flight, or is it the thing from the past? Is it the thing from the future? Is it the germs? Right, like what, like what's going on? And what is the what is the cycle? Right? what's the trigger? What's the emotion? What's the thought? What's the response? What do I do in response to this distress and this discomfort? And then following that around, right, doing the chain analysis and understanding it so that we can understand where where is the where is the break, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, and I'll let co Cohen take you know, the bulk of it, but I think there's such a strong, powerful place for bitachon, in the clinical and the non-clinical person, because it, 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 it kind of destroys so many of the baseline questions of what's going to be and how, and how can I try to control it? Like, what do you mean? You have you know, you have the best pilot in the world flying, and you have parachutes, and it's Air Force One. It's been maintained up the wazoo, and y- you know, you, you, your, 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 uncle, your other, your uncle is is you know billionaire, and the other guy is is the president. Like everyone who can control anything or anything in the world, or are you, the best doctors in the world. Like there's nothing to worry about. So, oh, like all my a lot of my questions don't even start right with with, with Vital. And yet, when there's disorder, when there's sticky brain, a lot of times there's still a process going on. There's still a relating to my anxiety, like, like um, Coach Menachem said, like, we're going to have anxiety. Anxiety is, is a thing, is we can't get rid of it. We don't want to get rid of it, right? It's protective. And again, you heard about that already. The point though is understanding the process. And, and, and we'll talk more as the it goes on, but what's the difference between reassurance and comfort? What's the difference between um, something that's a problem and something that might not be a problem right now, right? Like kind of some some ways to understand, um, you know, danger versus distress and how when you have a sticky brain, it's like a fire alarm goes off and you're running around the house trying to find the fire when someone without an anxiety disorder might get a little nervous. They go into the kitchen and see, it. like, okay, there's smoke in the toaster oven, like, okay, put it out, no problem. But the person with anxiety is running around the house 10, 10 12, 15 times trying to check like this, that right? Because the relationship to that alarm, the alarm goes off faster, goes off stronger in your mind, and interpret it with, with great fear. And so, um, I guess I'll, I'll pause there um, and let um, me talk, um, but that's, that's where I'm hoping to speak a little bit tonight, kind of, from that. that Thank you,
1: Camilla, I really appreciate the opening. Um, while you were talking, uh, our chat was like exploding, uh, the person who takes care of the chat that you know pretty well um, is overworking over here because the questions are coming in like a mall side. So uh, get ready to get attacked, seriously. Rabbi Cohen. Yes. It's my honor it's and my honor, my honor to, to introduce you. Rabbi, Rabbi Shia Cohen has been the Rosh yeshiva of Yeshiva Aryeh, better known as ZA, and Koil Nair Yeshua for the past 30, let's clarify that, 30 plus yeah. years. Yeah. He has founded Priority One in 1987 to help at-risk teenagers. That was last week's program, by the way and their parents and families, Rabbi Kohn has developed a keen ability to identify and to deal with issues that children face in our education system. And besides that, Rabbi Kohn, to me, and I've read some of his books, is the king of Amun Batachen. So Rabbi Kohn, please put all these therapists out of business.
4: Well, I wish we could, uh, no, I don't want to put them out of business. Uh, thank you for having me here anyway. Uh, but I wish we would be able, theoretically, to it doesn't look that way in the near future. So they really don't have anything to worry about. In fact, um, we have to work very closely with them because Baruch Hashem, today we live in a world which many years ago that I still remember, where we couldn't find qualified therapists who we could trust. And I mean trust in terms of not only their uh, professional uh, expertise, but in terms of their religious hashkofa and the tampering that they may have done with so many innocent religious people because of their perspective on life and Baruch Hashem today we have so many therapists both men and women who are b'nai Torah and yeshiva educated and committed to Torah and mitzvahs and therefore it makes our work a lot easier but we have to uh, refer to therapists because we can uh, we can account on many of them to be able to at least understand where we're coming from and not to interfere with their religious life in the name of trying to deal with their psychological issues. So in that sense, we're very fortunate. Um, I I think we heard from Dr. Miller uh, a lot of information about anxiety and a very interesting analysis of the uh, the basic issues I, I would like to suggest that the power of Bitohin in Hashem that means the different levels of trusting Hashem, starting with just the realization that he's in control of everything and that everything he does is for the good, even though I don't know what's going to happen and I may not be happy with the results. but that in itself brings a certain sense of peace of mind because. There's no accidents. There is a plan. There is a master planner. Whether I understand what he's doing, whether I'm going to be happy with what he's doing, but at least I know that I'm in good hands. That's the first level. It goes beyond that to a hopefulness. And we find in Tanakh four languages of hope. Tzipiyah, uh, Chikui, Kivui, and Yichul. They're all different variations of hope. Hope meaning, I'm not sure of what the result is going to be, but I refuse to lose hope. And this is a very, very powerful, I would say, uh, anti-anxiety mechanism. Because what it says is, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who loves us, who created the world only to do chesed, who has no other agenda than to do chesed to us, who is all-powerful, and in the words of Chazal, Who we know about, about whom we know that even if there would be a sword, a sharp sword that's on the back of his neck, ready to slice it, do not give up on rachamim, on mercy from Hashem. Memela that gives us a sense of hope that no matter how dire, no matter how desperate, no matter how dismal everything seems, but there is hope, and that can help to alleviate a lot of anxiety because, yes, I'm worried. Yes, I'm concerned. Yes, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm hopeful. I refuse to give up hope. And it gives me that ray of light. And when the hope is not turning to a machine, it's not turning to a medication, it's not turning to a doctor, but it's turning to the ultimate, Rui the one who is in total control with his loving and caring and kindness, chesed and rachamim, that that is endless. So that sense of hope has a very soothing type of a, uh, um, it creates a very soothing feeling, even though it does not carry with it an assurance that things are going to turn out the way I would like them. Then sometimes from the hope, Comes another level. It's a higher level. It's a more difficult level. It's a complex level. It's a level that's not so easily achieved, but it is achievable, and it's achievable on different levels. And that is what is called in the vernacular bitochin, bitochin meaning trusting Hashem, not only that He is in control, not only that He is everything He does is for the good. Not only that he is full of chesed and rachamim, but I have something within me that allows me to feel Hashem is going to help. He is not going to let me down. As David Melech said, My God, I have put my trust in you. Don't let me be embarrassed. Don't let me be disappointed in this trust. Don't let my friends look at me, or my enemies rather, and say, <laughs> You put your trust in him and look where you got to show for it. And this is a much higher level. It's not the highest level, we can mention that in a moment, but this is a very high level. But it has such power to, to alleviate anxiety. In fact, Rashi says in Parshis Bahar, when the Torah says about living in Eretz Israel, the Shavtem lo Vetach, the Betach, meaning the lotion of Bitochin, of security, of Trust, Rashi says you won't be worried. I would say there won't be anxiety This level of trust can alleviate so much anxiety Because I I just I just know Hashem's going to take care of it there as as Dr. Miller mentioned before there are no problems Everything's disappeared because what was I worried about? Well, he's in control of that. What was I worried about that? Well, but he he cares about me and he's not gonna let me fall to there and so forth and so on and therefore it just, it prepares away all of those things that I, I am I'm, I'm, I, I tailor my anxiety, I place my anxiety on the objects of my anxiety, and therefore it can help me in enormous ways. How do you achieve that? What is that level all about? Uh, well, let me first mention the next level, because some people confuse it with the first level, so I'd like to mention that. We'll come back to this level, which being the most powerful, practically speaking, for alleviating anxiety. And the highest level is what Dovin Melech calls in Tehillim, Chesed U Mishpot O shiro. And Chazal, the Gemara and Brocha says, Al Chesed O shiro, Al Mishpot O Dovin Dovina Melech said, I'll sing the same Shiro, the same praises of Hashem, whether he gives me a patch, or whether he gives me a kiss, whether there's Chesed or whether there's Mishpot, because I am so cognizant of the chesed Hashem, of the rachamim of Hashem, of, of, of everything that He does is for the good, of the whole purpose of creation was to do chesed, that to me, I appreciate the chesed, the same chesed in the good as in the not so good, in the fulfillment of my desire and the not fulfillment of my desire. This is a very hard level. The first level is, I know everything Hashem does is for the good, but I'm not necessarily happy with it. This level says, makes no difference. Whatever Hashem gives me, I'm equally happy. You know, the Hasidim have a very beautiful way of expressing this level. and I truly believe that it's very difficult. I really don't know if I've met any, certainly not many people who've reached this level, uh, but it's important to know, and, and, and that is the Hasidim tell a story about Reb seems the Baal Shem to have sent a delegation to Reb to find out what does it mean, Smeichim to rejoice in suffering, and they came to this Rav they found him living in poverty. He came out, clothing tattered, a sickly looking man. He looked like he was meduka be that he lived a life of just constant pain and suffering. And they said, the Baal Shem Tov sent us to you to find out what it means to rejoice in suffering. And he looks at them incredulous, cred, incredulously and he says, he sent you to me? Why did he send you to me? I never suffered a day in my life. If we can take that attitude, that to us it makes no difference, good or bad, refu or not refuah, parnoso or not panosah, yeshua or not yeshua, that's something, else, but that's a very lofty level. Lav kol So we're not speaking about that tonight because of its impracticality for most of us. Well, let's talk about the level below that, which is also difficult, very difficult, but it is not uh, as impractical, it's achievable, and the good news is, and I quote the Chofetz Chaim, and this is really good news, the Chofetz Chaim, in a letter, uh, I think it's a letter they wrote to soldiers in the Machli Yisrael. He, he, in one of the Kiswi Chofetz Chaim, the same is called Machli Yisroel, he writes there at the end, he says, goydel kach goydel according to the greatness or the level of trust, that's the level of success that it influences. Meaning, Bitochein is not an all-or-nothing endeavor. I'm 100% sure Hashem is going to help me, and therefore I have absolutely nothing to worry about, there is absolutely no anxiety, it's a done deal. Or, no, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel a certain level of sureness. There's infinite levels in human emotions, and I I, I, I can't, I, 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 I don't think it's beyond, but, but, but I'm quite confident. I'm even more confident. And as the time goes on, instead of getting less confident, I get more confident. i work on myself. And I, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it stronger and stronger. He says, according to the level of that bitochem, that's commensurately, will that person achieve and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So therefore, even though it's a high level to reach, to be sure that Hashem is going to help me, but Chavetz Chaim teaches us that even if one does not achieve it in the fullest, to whatever degree we do achieve it, it's to that degree that it influences the outcome, and therefore it's a worthwhile endeavor under all circumstances. How does one go about achieving it, and what are the um, specifics of the results that come from achievement of a level of Bitochin? First of all, Uh, I'd like to dispel a a thought. And that many people make this mistake when they talk about this level of Bitochen, that there's a button that you press. It's someplace over here. You just press that button, and now I have Bitochen. Whoa. Or all I have to do is say, I have Bitochen. Everything is fine. And in the context of tonight's discussion and Dr. Miller's presentation, all the anxiety is just going to disappear. Well, did you know, Dr. Miller, there's a button that you press? Press this button, and that button can pull all your people and all of us out of business. No, there's no such button. There's no such thing. It's a process. It's not a, a, a snap of the fingers. It's not an event even. It's not one thought. It's a process. What is that process? Well, the process is not saying, I'm sure Hashem's gonna help me. I have no doubt. I know the plane is not gonna crash. I know I'm going to have a refuah. I know I'm going to be successful in, in, in business. I know I'm going to have panos a chef. I know I'm going to have a shillach. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I trust Hashem 100%. I trust Hashem 100%. I trust Hashem 100%. That I'm gonna have this, I'm gonna have that, that, I'm gonna have everything I want. It doesn't work that way. Because on what basis? How do you know? Do you think, are you worthy? you're not worthy. How do you know? You don't know anything. And just repeating it again and again is not going to help. Dovid Amelech gave us the formula in one succinct sentence. In Perak Yud Gimel in Tehillim, where Dovid Amelech is fighting for his life, he's being pursued by his enemies, he says to the extent, Please Hashem, enlighten my eyes. I'm afraid I'm going to die. They're out to kill me. And then at the end, after this supplication that he should save him from death, from the brink of death, he says the famous Posach, And this posok I think, lies the formula for achieving Bitochen, for understanding Bitochen, and for uh, maybe even guaranteeing in another way that those results that we so Desire that those results will actually take place, and that the pshat is like this. Tobin HaMelech said, "I'm not sure that I'm going to be saved. I'm confident in the Chesed Hashem. I look around me, I see the world. I see Hashem created the world only for the purpose of Chesed. I know that Hashem's Chesed is infinite. I know He's the Rachamecho. His Rachamim has never been withheld. He's the Marachim Samuel His Chesed is endless, and therefore, I just." internalize this sense of confidence in his chesed. And some, at some point, when I become so psyched up, and focused, and 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 assured and confident in the chesed HaShem, I see it in the Bria. In fact, I even, the Malbim says, and I actually heard this from this thought from Dr. Bieberfeld from uh, Maimonides Hospital, and what the, what the proserch says um, um, so they learn p'shan in that. One who trusts Hashem will be surrounded by chesed. Not that chesed will surround him, but he'll see everything in his surroundings and even those that are problems and challenges and sorrows, he will see them as chesed. Why? Because he has such confidence in Hashem's chesed. If Hashem's chesed is total, is complete, is endless, is the purpose of creation, then of course everything is chesed. And at some point, that sparks something in his heart. And he says, that has sparked the confidence that I know uh, my heart will rejoice in the Yeshua. And the learns that that means that at this point, he comes with this confidence that for sure the Yeshua is going to come. Based on the intensive study and internalization and feeling of the chesed Hashem in the Bria, and in my life, I look back at my life, all the chesed he did for me, so many good things he did, I wasn't deserving of them necessarily, but he did it anyway, so it's not about deserving. That yogelib b'rishua secha, my heart will rejoice in the Yeshua, because of the fact that something tells me from within, based on the extensive insight that I have into Hashem's chesed, that I just feel He's going to do it for me too. And here the Chofetz Chaim comes in and says, "To the degree that I feel that feeling, is to that degree that it will help me." Dov Ber said one more thing, which is very important. He said, "Oshira ki gomal I will sing shira Kigomal. Reb Chaim uh, points this out, and others Kigomal. It's a lotion over after the fact. Shira is something that level of expressing of total shira of appreciation to Hashem. That's only after he delivers, even though I have him before that he's going to, but that comes after. And I would like to add to that one more thing. They, have a, they bring a Kabbalah for a Behuda, a Chosid, that when a person has a Tzorah, and he makes up his mind, he says he's Makabal, that when that Tzorah is over, I'm going to say nishmas publicly in front of a minion. many people were saved this way, he says and this is something the stipler used to recommend to people all the time and when they had a tzorah to be mekabal and when the tzorah is over to say nishmas until the broch at the end bracha yisveh doh not recite the brocha that we only can say on Shabbos in the whole sukeh de zimra. but and it says it's such an amazing thing and I believe the pshat is like this because not only am I trusting Hashem's chesed but I make a little promise to Hashem and that promise is also so soothing because that says that this Bitochen and this realization of the Chesed HaShem is not a temporary uh, surge of emotion. It's going to remain forever. Or, Shira Hashem Ki Gom When this is over, I'm not going to forget you, Rabbi Nisholeilam. I'm not going to say like the guy said, Never mind, HaShem, I got it all under control. I'm going to say Shira, going to say Nishmas in front of a minion and many men. Therefore, I am committing myself now that I will maintain this thought. Any feeling that is felt as not only a temporal feeling, but a permanent feeling, an ongoing feeling, that I'm now making a commitment and and a plan to feel this feeling later, it deepens the feeling now. And therefore it deepens even more my appreciation of the chesed Hashem. So this is, I think, a little bit of the process. And the benefits are twofold. I mean, the benefits are infinite. But the benefits are twofold in terms of our discussion this evening. One is, of course, that if I have a means to influence the results, then, as Dr. Miller put it, I have a way of reducing all of the um, the the props i don't know which words you use but the props that my anxiety is attached to and is expressed through because <laughs> this problem doesn't exist this is going to be okay this is going to work out the plane is going to land safely uh, the, 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 the refu is going to come the pranos is going to come so forth so but it does something else it gives us such menuchas San nefesh menuchas nefesh is the enemy of anxiety peace of mind. Is that well said, Dr. Miller? Menucha Sanefesh is the enemy of anxiety. I'm at peace. I have nothing to worry about. Number one, I have surrendered control to the Creator, to the one who can do, the only one who can do everything. And number two, I, I just, I, 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 I trust it's chesed. I trust it's going to be. So In the knowledge that it's going to be allows me to sleep well at night. I don't have sleepless nights. I don't have anxiety because there's nothing to worry about because Hashem is in control. And not only in control, He's responding to my trust according to the desire that I want. You can't ask for better than that. The only thing better than that is that it makes no difference to me on the highest level, which is not what we're talking about here. So these are the two things, I think, that come together to really um, help in addressing this anxiety. I'd just like to conclude, I know I took a lot of time, I apologize, but I would, I would, I'd just like to conclude with one thought, and I would um, ask Dr. Miller what he has to say about this also. And that is as follows, that <clears throat> I believe, that, well, I'll give you an example. Rashi says, uh, the, the Torah says, Yaakov lifted up his feet, and he went to the east. This is after Hashem promised him. Well, we'll see. Rashi says. Rashi says as follows: Why does the Torah have to tell me he lifted his feet? And what if he slept his feet? Who cares? What's, that's not negate anything. Torah doesn't write any extra words. So Rashi says as follows: Since after he was promised, promised, huftuch b'tochin, that he's going to be protected from Esau his heart lifted up his feet, and it became physically lighter for him. leches. it became easier to, for him to go. And I believe, and there's many indications in Chassal, that the spiritual, emotional, um, feelings of the heart, the positivity. The, the one lotion that they use in the Mephoshim Halev With the happiness of the heart is dependent the life of the body and it affects it on physically, biologically, psychologically, emotionally that it has an impact on, on, on my physical ability to run I become lighter Maybe it's a formula for a diet, I'm not sure I've, I've tried that one, it doesn't work But, but it's nasa HaLaleches it's, 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 it's easier to go, why? because I'm trusting that Hashem is going to protect me. So I do believe that on the less than chemical or or, deep-rooted anxieties, that the Bitochen is certainly a, a, a panacea. But I do believe that even on those that are deeply rooted, even in brain chemistry, I think that this can certainly have a major impact, depending, of course, on the extent to which we can muster this trust in Hashem
1: thank you very
2: much, Rabbi Cohn. If I can add one thing. Yes,
1: yeah, uh, just wait one minute. Let's just wait one minute, okay? Because we have a bunch of questions. It's a little bit exploding. We'll go back to it in a minute. Um, Rabbi Cohn, you said basically answered half the questions, but we still have another, another 40, 50 questions still coming in. We see, we see. Let's, take a, let's take a quick poll, um, and then everybody, the program is meant to be very dynamic. It's meant that people should turn on the cameras. People should ask questions. We have, you know, one of the biggest, and we'll have been talking people, 30 plus years, Rabbi Cohn here. Let's utilize them. You have Dr. Miller, who's here, who's top-notch in, in these anxiety or any type of stress we're dealing with. Let's try to get what we could out of them. So this is the opportunity. Let's ask live questions. Let's, let's 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 really get what we could out of the program. Let's take a quick poll just to get everybody a little warmed up here. Okay, here we go. You ready? Should we do that one or that one? Let's try this one. Okay, look at the questions, and please choose any of, the, any of the answers you feel comfortable with. It's anonymous. We don't know who you are. We just want to get a general feeling. When you feel anxious, what are the symptoms you get? A, repetitive thoughts. B, difficulty falling or staying asleep. C, feeling nervous or restless or tense. Or D, having a tense sense of independent, impending danger, panic, or doom. So again, you have four choices. Repetitive thoughts, difficult falling asleep, feeling nervous or restless, or having impending danger, panic, or doom. Second question, what you help what has helped you in the past? That's spelled wrong, but it's fine. What's helped you in the past when you were anxious? A medication. B breathing techniques. C is CBT therapy. Or the answer four would be exercise. So please choose.
2: Not let's the other three are part of CBT therapy.
1: I know, mm-hmm. I know. I was gonna put drinking in there, but I decided to take it out. Okay, let's go five seconds.
2: Self medication.
1: Self medication. It's all included in medication. Five, four, <laughs> ice cream, right? Okay, let's end the poll. Share the poll. Share. Okay, guys, look at look at the results. So when they're feeling anxious, 25% of the of the people here feel a lot of repetitive thoughts. 15% feel difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. An overwhelming number one winner feel nervous, resent, restlessness, intense. Like the motion makes sense. These numbers uh, match match all your studies. Sure. I mean, 16% having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom.
2: Like the population, yeah.
1: <laughs> what has helped you in the past when you were feeling anxious? Medication, breathing techniques, CBT therapy, or exercise? <clears throat> you have 90% medication, 33% breathing techniques, 13% CBT, and 35% exercise. So bottom line, exercise and breathing seems to be uh, a strong uh, thing. Stop sharing your I'm not do the shot,
2: Stop. Yeah, exercise is probably one of the most underutilized antidepressants, anti-anxiety uh, things that we have. It's incredibly, incredibly helpful.
3: Excellent.
2: Uh, okay, let's go to
1: some live. <laughs> we have a few live questions. We'll start with that, and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay, David, you're on.
5: Yes, thank you, Rabbi Cohen and
1: Dr.
2: Miller, for hosting tonight. Um, the question is, ultimately, when a person puts in his emunah, bitachon, and Hashem, there is no anxiety. But once I have to do
1: my part, my heshtadlus, that's naturally when even an ounce of anxiety kicks
3: in. How do you balance emunah, bitachon, and anxiety? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I I understand the question. What, what, what is that? Sh-
4: where the, 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 qu- the
5: question is that um, when I, like, both Rebbe, And my friend, Dr. Miller, were saying is
1: you put everything in God, nothing to worry about. But all of a sudden, I'm asked to do something. I'm asked to do my part, my eshtadlis. I start worrying. I start getting anxious. How is it going to get done? I'm no longer putting everything in Hashem. I've got my hands on it.
4: Very good. I I missed the question. I apologize. It's very profound. Uh, I would just like to say as follows. The basic concept that we have to have is that Hishtadlus and Bitochin are almost unrelated whatsoever. Bitochin is the means with which we achieve the things that we want. Hishtadlus is the mitzvah that Hashem gives us for, for for numerous reasons. One, so we should not have to rely on miracles, and He shouldn't have to do miracles for us, and then that comes off some of schusim that we have. We should live in the world of Teva. We have to do because if we didn't do the says, who knows what we would do if we weren't busy working and trying to, you know, survive in this world. But the ishtadlus is not what brings about the success. In fact, the on the Posak Ona Hashem what I would think what he should say is we should all of our efforts should be crowned with success. He says, no, we should choose the right Heshtadlus. Because Heshtadlus is not success. Heshtadlus is not crowned success. Success is a gift from Hashem in the merit of our Tochin. There's a mitzvah of doing Heshtadlus, just as there's a mitzvah of tfilah, there's a mitzvah of tefillin, there's a mitzvah of mezuzah, and there's other mitzvahs in the Tariyag mitzvahs. There's a mitzvah of Heshtadlus. Some even learn from Apostle, Bechol HaSher but it does not. But therefore, the answer to your question would be that when you're doing the Ishtadlus, you should realize you're just going through the motions. I have a lot of Ishtadlus I have to do in the various things that I do. And I constantly remind myself, I forget a lot, but I constantly try to remind myself, I'm just going through the motions. That's it. It's not about this. And if I ask somebody for a donation and the person refuses, it shouldn't upset me in the least because it didn't come from him. It's from Hashem. And therefore, I was just going through the motions. I have to go to ask. But it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon your established. It's not dependent upon your donor. It's not dependent upon your boss. And therefore, the established should not uh, bring any anxiety because you should look at it as a completely separate
2: track. Dr. Manny,
1: you want to jump in? Yeah, um, yeah
2: I was just going to say the... The fact that you have certain amount of right, and, and again we have to define anxiety, a certain amount of that tightness in your chest, that that sweating, that tension, maybe your thoughts kind of race a little bit. Like that's not necessarily a terrible thing, right? And there's uh, the Yerkes-Dodson uh, we call it the performance curve, Yerkes-Dodson law, which is basically maybe a bell curve, right? And you have and you have um, anxiety um, anxiety going up here. Right and performance going up here and right? the y-axis. Right and can you see this? Yeah. No. Maybe. Right. And so at a certain point, anxiety is actually helpful. It gets you up to your peak performance. Right. You need to like get 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 going. Got to get off the couch. You got to get moving. Right. It's when it's too high and you start to crash, or it's even too low and you, you can't get moving and you kind of oh, I'll avoid whatever. I'll procrastinate. That that we that's when we're not productive. So it's not necessarily true that anxiety is going to be a problem in your established because you actually need some of it. The question is, is it, if it's debilitating, right? If you get panic attacks, and you're kind of you're so anxious that you can't function, well, that's a different story. Or if you're, if you're way late, or if you're trying to use to, to get rid of your feelings, right? And trying to, to daven to, to, so, so that your, your OCD will leave you alone, or that you're davening because you have OCD, right? Or whatever, you're, the, the anxiety is a disorder, and that's a, that's a, that requires treatment and the treatment mechanisms, again, of the process, understanding the process. There's a famous um, story. I don't remember which OCD expert it was. It was like on some talk show. And again, I'm probably butchering the details, so I apologize. Um, and they asked him, there they, they was some, someone with OCD, they were treating like some teenager who was just praying all the time, right? And, and, and as compulsively, right? Just, you know, thought, oh my gosh, my family will die if I don't, like, praying, 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 as they said. You know, you're gonna tell her not to pray, right? You're gonna tell her to exposure, to tolerate the uncertainty, but this is part of their like, thing. And, and let's say it was bitacho, right? I'm gonna have bitacho, bitacho Like right, said. The person that's like, oh, don't have Like, at the end of the day, like, what, how do you reconcile it? You should have bitacho, or you should die. right? Like, how do, you, how do you answer that? And so the OCD actually said to this girl, um, this young teenager, you know, I want, I want you to pray. And you can pray, but I want you to pray for is that God will help you tolerate the uncertainty and to engage in the treatment, engage in exposure work so that you're functional. That's what you should pray. Not praying so that everyone's safe, not praying. And so you might you might wanna shift, you might wanna use the bitachon from, if you understand the process, right? You're davening your bitachon, there's, there's room for it to be a part of whatever you're dealing with, right? You might go to the therapy and you're having a panic attack, because so a big business deal and blah, blah, blah. Or, business isn't going well, and you're in time, you may tell you, you know what, this is actually panic disorder. It's not just generalized anxiety. Your mom is having panic attacks all the time, and can't sleep, right? Like, you have having heart attacks, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we need to do interoceptive exposure and we're gonna induce fake panic attacks on purpose. And you're like, what are you talking about? I don't want nothing to do with that. I came here for you to make me feel less bad, right? Like, don't do that to me, right? Why would I do that? And so, but I would say like, hey, you're talking about a tough one, have, have me that that God will help the if it's medication for you know you know strep throat and you're trying to, like what is it it's Shabbos. okay right? and you're 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 not trying to say that this is you, you, what you're trying to do is you're saying I'm going to try to trust in Hashem or ask Hashem to make the treatment the, the thing that I need to, to do differently work and if I'm trusting Hashem in that then Hashem the rope. just like if I go to a doctor Hashem's the rope, if I go to a therapist Hashem's the roadway. And so that's maybe where we can find a balance.
1: Well, sure, very nice. Beautiful answer. Um, we have a lot more questions, so I'm going to try to say this nicely, to try to condense the answers in order so we can cover ground. We have like 30, 40 questions. I want to try to get to some of them. So let's let's go right to the next live question. You're on.
3: Okay. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Hi, this is. This- Thank you so much. This is Sarah Newcomb. I'm um, with Kavod to Rob Cohen and all of you for this wonderful program and taking my question. I appreciate it. Um, as I am as called upon to help people move forward in their lives, and while we're working on elevating the um, thoughts and the tachon, I'm wondering, with the, with the goal of Mnukas and by the way, I'm wondering how you see the role of alternative therapies focusing on physical touch, or movement um, in an attempt to ground or calm the bodily symptoms, to prove uh, the bodily symptoms. In the meantime, something which Shaya Oshkov has actually written about, and um, in order to either complement CBT or other types of therapy to get through the in-between the sessions and or in preparation for therapy sessions to, to go into those calmer. I'm wondering about that. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Um, Everybody' okay can I take it please <laughs> um, so I, I think it 's a great question because there 's always new types of therapies, alternative medicines, alternative therapies there 's a lot there 's a lot out there and so it 's hard to know, and if you just say cbt that 's it like you're, you're, um, you you're could be limiting yourself and again the that, the evidence the science is constantly changing so i don 't want to say something doesn 't work or something isn 't helpful um, but maybe I can say what, what I think I know to be, to be helpful or true. And that is that um, there are some, and I used to be a very hardliner, right? So I, I've come around to more of a functional analysis of, of what's helpful. And I think, I think that when you're talking about um, grounding or body focused, um, I'm trying to think of somatic, sensory. I've heard some of these therapies and, in, in some ways, they could be helpful for people, um, as long as we still know what the process is for a specific person, and therefore, what, what it is you're doing in the process. So, for example, if, if I have OCD and repetitive thoughts, um, intrusive thoughts, and I can't get certain images out of my head, and I'm struggling with them, it's making me anxious. You tell me, well, let's just focus on your body. Let's focus on grounding, let's focus on breathing, let's focus on progressive muscle relaxation, it might be helpful in some ways to ground me um, so that I'm willing and able to uh, break the cycle of the OCD, which all the evidence shows exposure and response prevention is the gold standard treatment, maybe medication also with, you know, consult psychiatrists, etc. But really that, that attack, that undermines the mechanism, the intolerance of uncertainty, the anxiety sensitivity, it, it undermines the mechanisms That keep the that that uh, cause and maintain the OCD, right? Uh, The negative reinforcement cycle, all of that, right? Now, the the calming the body might be helpful. The problem is sometimes you can get, or I've seen people get carried away with that. It's it's understand the understanding is like some maybe let's take something maybe more out there, crystal healing or something that is more is more on the fringe or a little more further away that. That person says, What do you mean I feel better? Right? But you also can feel better if you drink alcohol or if you, you know, sleep a lot or if you uh, avoid and you're good at avoiding, it might make those see worse, but you might feel better temporarily. And what I tell my patients, and, um, you, know, if you, you know, if they don't want it, then they don't have to keep coming. But of course, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, and I want to create a safe, validating, Accepting and, and strong relationship and, and therapeutic alliance and the room, the, the relationship in the room is so important. And we might start with some grounding techniques. If you're so overwhelmed, you're not even hearing me. You're not, you can't process anything because you're just hyperventilating. Okay, we might try to start with poems. Oh. But my goal is like physical therapy. You go in, your knee is all busted up, and they say, "I'm going to do the here. Let me move your knee." And you're like, "Ow! You're hurting me! I came for you to make my knee feel better." It's like yes, but. The way the way forward is by doing these exercises, and it will hurt, and it will short term it will hurt, but long term you'll feel better, right? If I just let you walk on your cane, you're right, you'll feel better today, but then the rest of the week you're going to be dysfunctional, you're not going to be able to walk and run again, and so I'm going to give you, and not only that, I'm going to give you homework to go home and hurt your knee even more with the bands and with the exercises and with the squats, and you're like, what did I come here for? But that's that's really kind of what the exposure therapies, the CBT therapies whether it's for PTSD where we're doing either, whether it's CPT cognitive uh, therapies or prolonged exposure or um, you know, written exposure therapy, these, it's about approach and shifting the relationships with our thoughts, you know, changing our thoughts if you're more of a second wave cognitive person. But the point is that it's not, it's not always gonna be comfortable. And so what I think sometimes we fall into with some of these other therapies is trying to feel comfortable or trying to feel okay now and not that that's terrible, you also have to get at the root of what the process, where, where you're stuck and where you're, where you're avoiding is a big one, where your thoughts are taking you into unhelpful places is another, right? and how you're not living your values, how you're stuck on your thinking, how you're stuck with your labels, or you're, you're not in the moment, you're, in, you're always in the future, in the past. Like, those are the mechanisms that we know help a person live their values, go towards a life that's worth living. And so, if other things are adjunctive and help—massages, body focus, breathing, meditation—great. As long as it's not used to avoid or to or make the process worse, With unfortunately, a lot of times it does. No.
1: I'm going to jump to the next question. Is that okay?
4: Okay. Whatever you say. You're the boss.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm going to aim this question at you. Okay. Okay. I'm actually. I'm. I'm an intelligently, I'm intelli- intellectually aware of the fact that Hashem runs the world and that everything that happens is for the good. However, when I face a challenge, it's hard to feel this emotionally. Is there any practical advice you can give me to improve my betochen when I face an actual challenge?
4: Well, I would look at that from two perspectives. Number one, uh, the best time to work on the emotion. No, there are two best times to work on the emotion. Forgive me. The one is before the challenge, preparing for it. And the other one is once you're somewhat prepared, you could use the challenge as a stepping stone to higher levels of emotion, and higher levels of bitochen. Uh, the Rabbeinu Yoyna says, uh, at the end of the first parakem Brochus in the back of uh, Brochus there, he says that when we bow down, we say, Baruch when we straight up, we say Hashem's name, because of the posuk, Hashem Kef And he explains that bowing down is like creating a sense of fear I don't know, I'm in front of Hashem, but maybe I'm not going to be privileged. And then I stand up straight, and that strengthens Bitochon. Quotes the posts the yiras Hashem Miv In the fear of Hashem lies the strength of Bitochon. Sometimes Bitochon comes from the Tzorah itself. However, for the Tzorah to catapult me into that reliance on Hashem, I have to be holding by that before the fact. So I would say that the mechanism, in brief, is working hard on Bitochen before I face a tzorah, recognizing all Hashem's hashkocha protis, all the chesed Hashem in my life, all of the things that have happened to me that I thought this was, oi, oi, what's going to be, and it turned out to be the best thing that could have happened, and by other people as well, and throughout Jewish history and everything that you can muster to strengthen that Bitochin. then when the challenge comes, you will find yourself capable of using it as a springboard to get even a closer contact to Hashem, to get even a higher level of Bitochem, because I know where to turn. Intellectually, I know it. And I know it not just intellectually. I've already internalized it before the Tzora, And now I just, where else am I going to turn? There is no place else to turn. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the Rambam says that um, the reason we don't say Halilam Rosh Hashan Yom Kippur, the Rambam Piri says, because these are days of Yirav of fear Umivrach, we're so afraid of Hashem, we'd like to run away. say se'lova. Where do we run? Into his embrace. We run from him into his arms. That means to say that when we're f- afraid, when we're overwhelmed, we realize sometimes if we have the background, if we have the prep of the preparation, and we realize there is no place else to run. So that Sora can catapult us into a higher level of Bitokhan, assuming that we have done work before to reach a certain level. That's the way I would deal with that.
1: Thank you very much, Mary Cohn. We have some more live questions. Let's jump to another live question, please. The other one. Hello, are you on? Hello? One of them's got to work. Dina?
4: Next
1: one? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump to a question to Moshe before we get to the next one. Moshe, This one is Dr. Miller. This one is, this one's geared for you. I once heard getting reassurance is not good for anxiety, but it makes me feel so much better. How could, how could it be, how could it be bad?
2: Reassurance. Great question. So reassurance, um, and I want to make a distinction between reassurance and comfort or helpful reassurance or appropriate reassurance and uh, the pathological compulsive reassurance seeking, which is the the unhealthy side is I need comfort, I'm stressed, I'm even anxious, and I go for a hug, I go for comfort, someone to be with me when I'm when I'm worried or I'm, you know obsessing about something, et cetera. And then there's the compulsive reassurance. The, I'm not gonna die from coronavirus, right? Right. Like, like our kids are safe. The, the kids are good. Okay. But did you, did you check? Did you check everyone's temperature once they fell asleep? Like, maybe we sh- let's, let's let's check. It like, you are sure? Okay, they're fine, right? Reassurance it s- serves often within anxiety disorders. Again, I'm talking in the disordered realm um, as a as a avoidance or a way of. Um, Kind of trying to short term reduce my anxiety, so again you 're coming to me for therapy it's good, it, like we want it needs to be difficult so that we rebuild the muscles around that knee If I come in and we just you know I just you know it 's going to be good it 's going to be okay, and i 'm playing into the cycle right because again, the cycle of anxiety is something shows up a thought, a fear right I get that the whoosh through my body, the, the body sensations. And I'm, and I'm now I'm thinking about now now I'm, and I want to get rid of it. The one strategy that a lot of people come up with is reassurance. It could be self reassurance. I, I tell myself it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's fine. The doctor said I'm I'm safe. I'm not having a heart attack. Just let's. I'm I'm, I'm like EKG said uh, it's not a heart attack. Okay, okay. It's just but maybe, But how do I know? Maybe this time it's a heart attack. Like I'm feeling a little twinge more than last time. So maybe maybe I'll go to the hospital again, right? And get get another EKG and, and get reassurance from another doctor, right? Or I ask asked my wife for the hundredth time, make her crazy. Are you sure? Like, How's it gonna work? We can pay the bills, right? And it, what that does is for a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe a few hours even, it reduces the anxiety. But what happens is that negatively reinforces the obsession or the worry or the, whatever the, the thing that raised my, my hackles, that got me going, because it's, it's, it's in response to that, I got, I got a relief, right? It's like the seatbelt, the, the alarm's blaring. I put the seatbelt in, the alarm stops so like finally right that reinforces the, the seatbelt right the seat putting on the seatbelt because i don't want i don't want that pain and the relief from the pain reinforces that cycle and reassurance serves as that and there's a great book by um uh john Hirschfield about uh, ocd and family accommodations if anyone's interested if you want different strategies for family members but but the understanding that that serves to actually make things worse um, often and i have to lean in i have to approach i have to approach, not avoid. I have to, yeah, maybe maybe my, maybe my children are not going to be safe. Like, I can't know for sure. Right. And, and again, with that sticky brain, with that, I can't tolerate uncertainty and I'm not sure type of thinking process, bitachon isn't, isn't, a, it, it could be another reassurance, right. And that's where it can get um, davening and bitachon can become a compulsion. It's very tricky when that happens, but it could also just be the, the same way when I'm Find an airplane and I say, What are the statistics? Is it safe to find an airplane? Like what are the facts? So for us as for a mutant, or I work with a lot of a lot of veterans who are Christians, like for them a, a fact is that there's a God and God is caring for me and loves me and is taking care of me and knows what's best for me and knows everything and ha- and wants what's best for me. And so like that's like checking the facts. That's like a very second wave, like what's the evidence for and evidence against, right? Like you, you might just try to question the the anxiety. And sometimes that works, right? For some people, that works, right? The further along you are on the anxiety, OCD, sticky brain spectrum, usually the less that type of thing works and the more you just need the exposure, but it can be a part of the process. And like Sally Winston says, try once, maybe even twice. Sure, the first time, give reassurance, right? You'll ask me like, are we doing therapy right? The first time I'm like, yeah, you know, you're doing a wonderful job. We're, we're kind of in the exploration process for a session or two, whatever. The second time I say, you know, I'm noticing you're asking me for reassurance. And I'm even going to give it to you again, but I'm going to note this is, it sounds like that reassurance thing you do where you ask for things and you don't have to be ashamed of it, but let's just notice this, it might be part of the cycle. And by the third time, I'm starting to say, well, let's, let's wait a few minutes before I give you reassurance, because in about three months, I'm not only going to not give you reassurance, I'm going to tell you we're doing therapy wrong. You've been doing it wrong the whole time. I might not even be a good psychologist. How do you know? What do you know about psychologists? I could, I could be terrible at my job. Like I'm not even be a real doctor. I could be like a total fraud and phony. like, like we're going to find out in a couple of years that you wasted money. I mean, I'm going to be in jail for impersonating a psychologist. Like that's, and that's later on when like the person gets it and they're willing to lean into the fear fully, like dive head in, jump into it. Um, and, and that's where, and that's where reassurance is, is part of that process.
1: Okay. Beautiful motion. Let's go a little quicker because we're getting a lot more questions. Speed on it. Sarah, let's go.
5: Hi, um, okay, so my question is, how can a person find a healthy balance between your Yitzhak Tov, Yitzhak and overwhelmingly, overwhelming anxious thoughts? How do you
3: even also differentiate between the two?
4: I, I missed, I'm sorry, I didn't hear a balance between what?
3: The, the thoughts, that, in a sense, like your conscience, Yitzhak Yitzhorto, Yitzhorto Tov telling you what's the right thing to do. And,
4: <laughs> oh, Okay so i mean I, if if I may I just just very briefly, I, I would like to mention one thing which might help you in this. I'm not quite sure exactly because it's it's a it's a complicated issue. Um, but one thing that we know about Beethochen is that it does not differentiate between good people and bad people, between righteous people and not righteous people. When a person has trust in Hashem, then no matter who he is, Chazal put it very simply, forgive me, no, no intent meant to, to refer to anyone. Even a person who's a rosha, an evil, a wicked person, who puts his trust in Hashem, Hashem responds to that trust. So in terms of the fact that we have a Sahara, and in terms of the fact we may be tempted to do things inappropriate and in terms of the fact that we're acting inappropriately because we have a yei tzohor, that does not have to take away from our ability to put our trust in Hashem when we put trust in Hashem whether I'm a tzaddik or a rosha Hashem responds so I don't know if that will help you but a little bit that means that the yei doesn't play as powerful a role in Bitochin or in negating bitochen as we might have thought.
0: Thank you, Rabbi Cohen. Usher, can I jump in for a minute? Please. First of all, Rabbi Cohen, I want to tell you thank you very much for the physic. Um, just by listening the introduction, is really very strong physic. Um, there's a question here that how does a beginner, where does a beginner start? So that he can come to the madrigas that you're talking to. Where does he start? And number two, how do parents Um, Be um, As Chinuch, where do they start with their young kids So that they can start at an early age That they should feel um, The madrega that you're talking about That the Shtadlis has no Shaiches To the Yeshua that we're getting from Hashem That we should be able to live it and feel it
4: Wow, excellent questions So uh, I would would like to say as follows Uh, There are probably many different starting points One that is very, very helpful is the recognition of Hashem's Hashkoch HaProtis, the extent of Hashem's involvement in every detail of our lives. I'm very proud of my children's, um, of knowing my children's introduction, young children, to the world of Bitochen. In the following scenario, we were living in the San Fernando Valley, we had made a yeshiva there. It was the summertime. My daughter was about eight years old. She needed. She it was ten thirty at night. She's going on a trip tomorrow with a day camp. She needed seventy-five cents to buy a soda in the heat of the the the, the California sun, and I didn't have seventy-five cents. That was the matzav in chinuch in California in those days, and so she said, "What should I do?" I said, "Say him. So she sits down with her four-year-old sister. She in the same tilling at ten thirty at night. And she says to me, what's this going to help? I need the money early in the morning. We're leaving and this. The little kid says, maybe somebody will have to give you with that. I don't know, some nonsense. And she left in the morning without the money. She comes back and she tells me the following. A friend of hers who at the Purim Carnival, that's four months before, something like that, borrowed 75 cents from her. They never discussed it. They forgot about it completely. Woke up that morning and remembered that she owes the Cone girl 75 cents. And she brought it to camp. They saw, it's real, Hashem's involved. Turn to him, say till him, pray to him, rely on him. He responds. And that 75 cents was the beginning of a basis of development of a real appreciation of Hashem's kindness, mercy, and involvement in our lives. So I think the beginning, the baseline, is really Hashkocha Protis. Now, Hashkocha Protis, those people that have seen it, uh, they, they, they get it. Those people who haven't seen it, look for it, because everybody gets it. And if you wish, there's something else that we can all look at, and that's the survival of the Jewish people through the last 2000 years. There is no one in the world who can study Jewish history, and the oppression, and the pogroms, and the Holocaust, and the gulags, and the crusades, and everything, and every bloodstained page of our history and see the miraculous survival and flourishing of the Claudius Road to this very day and deny that Hashem is involved in the world, despite the fact that there was so much death and suffering and bloodshed. But you see the Hashem. And when you see the Hashem and when you see the Chesed Hashem, then you have to wake up and say, hey, you know, the stuff that looks to me that it's not Chesed, I guess I don't understand it because he has such a track record in the chesed that he has done. If you look at the world, you see chesed Hashem. You look at the creation. You look at a microscope, what goes on. You look at one. anything that you look at in this world. Um, what is man is like a, a, a drop of, of, of dust in a, in, a, in a vast universe All created by Hashem and all mechanized and working According to, 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 to miraculous laws of nature So we, this is the first step Once we realize, that when we see the Chesed Hashem in action that's, that's the most powerful, I think Or one of the most powerful introductions to the world of Bitochem Then it's important to study the sources there's so many sources, there's so many books, some are written in English, written in Hebrew, there's, all, there's plenty of material there. There's lectures that are, are galore on Torah anytime and on so many other, um, uh, you know, media um, uh, uh, presentations. So this is to work on it, it's working on it. And it's constantly being alert to see the Hashkoche in my own life. Uh, in terms of parents, I would say something is very important, introduce your children to Hashem's chesed before they become familiar with life's challenges and difficulties. Because imagine you walk into somebody who's, who's, who's deathly ill or who's sitting shiver, mourning a relative and say, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. That's not the time for that lecture. It may be true because I don't know if it's the best, but it's all good. But that's not the time to introduce a person to Hashem's goodness when he's mourning a lost relative or when he's deathly ill in the hospital. But if we teach our children from the earliest stages, pointing out the chesed Hashem, sharing them the things that happen, constantly updating them because they happen every day. Two weeks ago, I was having a senior moment on a Friday afternoon, and I was trying to remember who it was that I had to call. And I couldn't for the life of me remember. Usually I write everything down. I couldn't remember. All of a sudden, I get a phone call. Can I invite my mother-in-law from Baltimore to come to New York because of Corona? So I said, what are you asking me? Ask a doctor. He says, no, doctors don't know anything. I said, what are you talking about? Who's your doctor? And he tells me the name of his doctor. That's the guy I got to call. Mamish, I'm sitting racking my brain. Who I'm supposed to call? I can't remember. A guy calls me. I never ask a guy who his doctor is. But since he maligned the doctors and says they don't know anything, I said, Who's your doctor? Maybe I know. Maybe and talk, his doctor was a smart man. And-
1: One second, grab call call. One second, your mic just went out. One second, unmute him, put him back. Unmute yourself. Blessed are the Try one more time. You can go ahead and call him. That's coming in. Okay. Unmute it. Let's try one more time. Don't hear you. Okay, Rabbi Cohn, sign out and sign back in. We'll go to the next question for Moshe Lib. Sign out and sign back in, maybe that'll work. If not, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call you in. Okay, you ready for the next question? Until we get uh, Rabbi Cohn up and running? Ready. Okay, Dina. Dina, are you there?
5: Uh, yes, no, I, uh, my question was more for Rabbi Cohn.
2: Okay.
1: So to wait a I'll, I'll answer for him. I think I know the answer. <laughs> Robert Kohn can hear you, but I think he has to call. Him. Let's let's call him.
2: Okay.
1: Let's call. him. Just don't pull this number. Just one second.
2: Okay. While we're getting while we're getting this going. Okay. Never mind. Go. You have a lot of questions. Okay. Let's go to the next question, and we'll go back to the. Okay.
0: That's
1: all, that's
3: all.
1: Thank you. Rivka, The Next question, Rifka, You on? Yeah. Okay. Is this for Rabbit Cohn also?
3: No, this is for Dr. Miller. Perfect. Let's go. Okay. Hi, Dr. Miller. Thank you very much. Um, I just had a question. You said that you, you know, you follow the CBT, you know, CBT mechanism, maybe CBT school of therapeutic practice. Um, I was curious how you address anxiety that may be caused by trauma, specifically complex trauma, because you deal with, you mentioned you deal with veterans, but veterans, you're dealing with PTSD. It's I guess what you would call acute PTSD, but what do you do if you deal with someone who's dealing, you know, let's say with childhood stuff, you know, anxiety that's not just a straight clear cut case, but more there's a lot going on underneath that.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And there's actually a lot um, that we researchers are talking about and that we talk about in our clinic, because um, as much as we would love, and we love the simple acute cases, right? The one trauma, Person, uh-huh. you know, 10 sessions, 12 sessions, in and out. Um, many, I don't know, most, I forget, we, we've actually collected some research. I don't remember the exact statistics, but many, many, um, I, I want to say a majority, but I don't want to go on a limb, of our patients have multiple traumas. And it's not as simple as, you know, one PTSD on one specific event. They're, so But you would still classify someone who has, you know, typical symptoms of PTSD right there. Trauma, even if it's multiple traumas, right? Combat and, you know, some sort of accidents and, you know, they witness a suicide. But if they have the typical symptoms, right? Avoidance or re experiencing hypervigilance, change of mood and cognition, right? It's been, it's been for extended period of time, et cetera. It's not because of other things. Um, and, but, but when we talk about complex trauma, and um, I actually I wish I'd uh, recently reviewed a lecture that uh, one of my colleagues gave is that usually you're talking more about um, childhood trauma mm-hmm. that also has like a lot of dysregulation, more, and, th- and I don't want to go too into it because I, I, I can't remember the exact lecture. I'm also, I'm also starting to fade at 1130 at night, but the, the, it, it sort of starts to mirror more of the dysregulation and the symptoms you see with either borderline personality disorder or other things. Complex trauma is, is another way that People use that term but the um, ICD-11 actually has more clear definitions and I can't remember them right now of where complex trauma is different than um, typical PTSD. The point is though that um, that while it's not my major expertise we have people on the team, we have a DBT, dialectical behavior therapy team, as part of our team. We do STARE which is skills training affective interpersonal regulation which is like DBT light and those really are where those are a lot of the skills that are needed um, for people who, um, it's not just PTSD, but it's PTSD plus issues interpersonally that are above and beyond PTSD that are maybe childhood traumas, um, etc. cetera. Um, and so it, it is an important diagnostic um, clarification and also treatment, like what does the person need now? Um, are they able to regulate themselves well enough to increase the stress, right? You don't do physical therapy on someone's knee if they're 95 years old in in a nursing home and they're they're in a wheelchair anyways right you're not gonna put them through that right Mm -hmm. so like if someone isn't isn't ready or capable or even if they have other illnesses right you don't be 95 maybe someone even a healthy person but you're not gonna do physical therapy if they're if they're had a heart attack and they can't stress their body let's say right Mm -hmm. so so that's where you know um, dbt skills and all that goes with that mindfulness and um, interpersonal um, skills and um, whatever the other modules are, I'm losing them right now, but the, or distress tolerance
3: and um, Emotion regulation. Emotion regulation,
2: thank you. The, right, those are so important because a person is not ready or capable or, re- or able to engage yet in an evidence-based treatment, exposure-based, or even CPT, even cognitive-based written exposure, because it would be overwhelming, the person might become suicidal, either or they are currently suicidal right now, they need st- stabilization, right? So um, the 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 only mis I think the big misnomer is that some people think everybody needs those skills before doing an evidence based therapy and that's not the case. It's well, in the case where someone has complex trauma, they're cutting and they're suicidal and they they're extremely dysregulated. Yes, those would be the, that would be how we would um, work with them. And then we would do. And there are people who are joining prolonged exposure and dialect behavior therapy. There's a lot of research going on right now, clinical trials and big centers like really pumping out that data of how to join the two. So it's um, people are working on it very very hard and we've got it kind of coming coming out right now. So Gabby Kong, can you hear us? I
1: hear you. Oh my level just went down like whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go to the other question. Let's go back to Dina. Yeah. Dina, you there? Was Dina? Yeah. Dina?
5: Yes, hi, thank you so much. My pleasure. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for this program every week. Um, my question is, Rabbi Kohn mentioned uh, earlier that haseru mishpah ashira, it's where uh, you're okay regardless of the outcome. Whether it's haseru mishpah is the highest level, and most people like, don't achieve this level. But to me, like, is this not the only level of betachon that could banish anxiety? Anxiety through betachon, that could really only be be achieved when you let go of your desires, understand that whatever Hashem does, whether it's something that I interpret as chassid or perhaps something I would interpret as a patch, um, is really all for the best. So, But if that's the highest level, and it really is the highest level, I understand that. You know, I'm not nearly up to that level of chassid, misper, Uh, How could I, as an average person, achieve serenity through betochen? Like, on a lower level, that chesed, chesed, mishra, shira.
4: Excellent question. The Chobos al-Vovos, when he lists some of the prerequisites for betochen, one of the things that he lists, very interestingly, is that if things don't work out, I accept it because I know Hashem's chesed. Now, the question could be asked, What do you mean, if things don't work out? The Bitochen that you're talking about is that they will work out. So there's a very interesting, I think it's a profound concept here, and that's as follows. And I I, I indicated this in the introduction, but of course it has become clearer with the question. The trust is not that Hashem will help me. The trust is in Hashem's chesed. If I truly trust Hashem's chesed, built into that, is the idea that if it doesn't work out, I also accept it as chesed. So even though I may not be thrilled with that as on the highest level, but I do recognize that everything is chesed, and if this doesn't work out, if I didn't muster enough bitochon, or if Hashem has some other reason why it shouldn't work out, even though for sure it's going to work out, and I'm sure that it's going to work out, but part of the trust in the chesed Hashem is a a a a footnote that even if it doesn't I recognize that it's chesed and with that little corollary with that little footnote I think that therefore we can also have the menuchas ha and fight off the anxiety even though I'm not on the highest level where it makes absolutely no difference to me because I have so focused on Hashem's chesed that even the disappointment can be perceived as chesed and therefore it will mitigate the anxiety before the fact when I'm relying that it's not going to happen, but even the possibility that it will, will be something that I could tolerate. That's a little complicated, but I think that that should answer your question.
1: That's a Beautiful answer. I have uh, like two, two questions I want to ask. They're really similar. So can I read both questions? Anybody jump in after the question. I'll read the first one, then I'll read the second one. My son was recently diagnosed with a chronic disease. I'm pretending to be strong, but I'm really, really scared. And trying to deal with it, my spouse is totally checked out and wrapped up in fear of what might be. How can I get through it? How can we get through it together? That's question one. Question two: I'm currently dealing with a health issue in the family, and it's very hard to maintain a sense of calmness going from one doctor to another and being an unknown constantly for anxiety and stress. What can I do to relax? Is this an indicator that I do not rely on Hashem? Who wants to take that first? Have I called?
4: <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I mean, look it's unfortunately... It's not a really personal, you know, hard... You know, unfortunately, this is... Uh, it's personal, but unfortunately, it's all too common today, people that are in such a situation, especially with what we have been going through the last number of months. And, I, you know, I can only say that um, one has to be constantly... Working on the bitochin, I did leave out one level of bitochin, which is a little bit in between uh, two of the levels, and that's the the son of the Rambam, the Rambam, calls it bikush. That's the bitochin or the reliance or the hope. Added to it, the sense of beseeching Hashem. Tefillah has amazing qualities. It. Brings results and it also gives us a person such a sense of relaxation. I mean, because I poured out my heart to Hashem. It's his child, it's his family member, it's his problem, it's his loved one, and that helps me to, irrespective of what happens, just somebody I know is feeling my pain. Somebody is there for me crying with me caring for me. And that's besides the reliance that it's going to happen. So I think that can be very helpful too. And then, of course, a person has to constantly work on Bitochen. And if one cannot work on this trust, because the medical profession may have scared us so much about the severity of the illness that I, I'm too overwhelmed, but I can certainly work on the level of trust called hope. And I would like to share with you that the um, the it's he's called Rabbi Avram uh, Ben uh, uh, Ben Ramoch. It's he it lived in the Kufa of the Sfar De Rishonim, and he writes as follows: the pasuk in Chafeh and Tilim Per Chafeh says, "Erekay b'chobatachti aliv Yisroh." That's the first pasuk. I've trusted you. Don't let me be embarrassed. The second posik says, "Gam kol koyvecholoyev Yisroh." also those who hope to you and he points out that hope to Hashem is also an assurance that things will happen so if one cannot muster this trust that it's going to be good at least don't lose hope and when we don't lose hope two things happen we, 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 we maintain a certain level of equilibrium because it's not hopeless no matter what the doctor says it's not hopeless we have a situation it was just written up this week uh, by Rabbi Ginsburg, Chaim Arya Zev Ginsburg, they added a name. It was in the Mishpocha this week. And Erev and, uh, Pesach, they told the family they have to pull the plug. And now Bor Hashem, he's alive and well. So And the family refused, and they conducted a Seder, not knowing what was happening. On the one hand, they prepared, they were in contact with the Chever Kadisha on Erev Pesach to see what happens if. And on the other hand, conducted a Seder that was described to me like just normal because we're relying on Hashem. So we can muster that. It's a lot of work, at least not to lose hope. That's, that's I think, a, a, a very key element. And, and it's not going to be easy. But I have to tell you something else. Um, uh, it, it's, it's very important to maintain that bitochem. I know of a personal situation. I don't want to get into too much detail, where I believe that um, the family was told that the um, that the process that the, um, the, the, uh, the 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 treatments had worked, and everything is fine, and they they feel that they let up a little bit on that bitogen and ten days later it was all over. So, we have to be very strong in that. It's a challenge uh, between the tefillah and the hope and the bitochen and, and also, I would mention, like I mentioned before, we have now a whole campaign going the, ca- the power of this nishmas, that a person, this mikabal, to say nishmas, that when Hashem, this situation resolves itself, we're going to say nishmas in front of a minion. Now, all of these things, besides having a profound effect on the result, because Hazal tells us, even if the sword is on the back of his neck, do not give up on the Rachmi Hashem, is the Kur yochol Yeshua Hashem keheref ayin, like the blink of an eye. But besides that, all of these things can make it easier for us to deal, to make it easier for us to cope, can make it easier for us to make decisions, because we keep our our presence of mind. So that's, I forgot now the second one, I I don't know if I... uh, if I address that one real
1: question it was just a similar question what? okay so that's
4: that's the best I could do on that
1: let me let me jump into the next question mostly I'm gonna direct it to you a little bit it's really two questions when I'm combining them because I'm trying to get as much in as possible question goes like this my spouse is having a hard time and is anxious about every small thing I try to stay calm but when we talk I feel when we talk I feel anxious too then I get upset at my spouse for making me anxious about these small things can you help me that's question one question two how could I support a family member who's dealing with anxiety? I'm mute motion
2: Yeah you, you want
4: to deal with that
2: yeah, I think really, um, yeah so so this is this is a uh, like such a struggle because a lot of times the people in our a lot of times people can live with their own anxiety or even are just you know they'd rather live with it than you know, go into therapy and the stigma and, and you, know, you know, what if they tell me I shouldn't do medication? I don't want to do it. And how am I going to find someone and afford it? And right? so for whatever reason, a lot of times people live with anxiety for years. Maybe they don't even recognize that other people don't have this uh, type of way of thinking. And it's, and it's, it takes a toll on ourselves, of course, the person with anxiety, but also on family. So often, um, very frequently, um, it's the family members who say, you know, listen, th- this worry is, Destroying you, it's destroying not me now. You're not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. You know, and and we need to, we need to do something. So, it sounds like this is uh, maybe a long-standing issue. Again, there's, there's this distinction between normal anxiety. The reason why we diagnose. Let me let me back up a little. Bit. Again, I can get right into the nitty-gritty, but just to, to zoom out a drop. The reason why we diagnose, or what what makes something a diagnosis, is um, I think it's like the five D's, right? It's deviant, right? different than other people, right? So if you're anxious during coronavirus, maybe you should be. And maybe if you're, someone coughs on you, maybe like, like there's, there's levels of anxiety that everyone might have depending on a situation, right? And so the question is, is, it, is, your, type, is your level of anxiety or frequency or duration of the anxiety experience different? Um, is it dysfunctional? Is it getting in the way of you functioning, your family functioning? Um, is there danger, right? Maybe you're suicidal or maybe you're doing right. I I was doing a driving exposure with someone once and a car came like within two lanes of us and he turned the wheel like like everywhere and he almost crashed because of the anxiety, right? So if you're doing dangerous things, right, actually dangerous, right? That's that's another reason why we diagnose distress, obviously, right? Just the fact that you're distressed and dysregulation, right? The your emotions are dysregulated up, down, all over the place. And so in order for something to be diagnostic you have to have of, most of the time has pieces of all these things and those are that's when you want to say this is something that needs that needs professional help and let me let me support the person in finding that help and getting the help and not feeling like they're crazy or like this is what we need to do like if you had cancer we'd go to an oncologist and if you had you know an ingrown we'd go to a podiatrist um and, and if you're if you're anxious all the time, like let's go do the work to help you and our family and everyone be able to live with in a way that is not, not about getting rid of the bad feelings, right? It's not about getting rid of. It's not about. It's not about feeling better, right? It's about feeling better, right? As we say in an act, it's about getting better at feeling, relating to the feelings and to our thoughts and to our cycles of anxiety in a way that's functional that lets us live based on our value right? if, you're, if you're trying to drive drive your bus down the road towards a life worth living right you're you're successful at your job and raising your children right and you know being a and a good Jew and all the things that are important to you and you're trying to go and the anxiety monster pops up and says but what about this and what if this happens and remember the thing you did yesterday that was so embarrassing and right you have you have choice what you do how do you relate to those thoughts and those feelings that show up do you try to run it over and just push through, right? Well, eventually your bus is gonna get damaged, right? You're gonna run yourself down. If you try to go around it, another monster is gonna pop up. What about that thing, right? And so you, all of a sudden you're traveling the wrong way. You're, you're going that way. You, you want that type of life. You want to head that way, right? Maybe you stop and you start arguing with the monster, right? And that's the reassurance or trying to figure it out or worry, 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 right? Like you're, you're, you're not driving at all. And so what we wanna do is say, okay, what if thoughts or uncertainty or body sensations, anxiety, hop up, right? Get on the bus, right? You have to be behind the white line. You can't hurt me. You could talk, but you're not allowed to touch the driver and, and keep on going. And maybe that requires the help of a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever, to help short circuit the thing that's getting in the way of you living your life. And as a partner, as a spouse, as a, as a friend, whatever, wherever, wherever you are, maybe it's a roommate, yeshiva, like helping someone to, to move towards and have the tools to do that is so important. And that's really, I think what family can do is provide comfort, support, and help to encourage, to do the work.
1: do you wanna jump on, on this one? Coach Vanatham?
4: No, I think that uh, that uh, Dr. Miller did a good job.
1: Okay, let's, let's cover two more and then we're gonna go to closing, okay? No. Okay. There's a lot more questions, I don't wanna, I know Moshe goes to usually uh, nine o'clock, so I know this is hard. I'm
2: a pumpkin already. I've
1: been a pumpkin, a pumpkin already. I'll just stay until tomorrow. Okay, here we go. I'm always worried what people are thinking about me. That's why I hate going. I mean, any place where there are other people. Do you have any suggestions?
4: Oy, 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 oy. Dr. Miller, how about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, without diagnosing, this is not therapy and I probably should have said that from the beginning. This is not meant to be therapy. This is meant to be informational. I'm not representing the VA or anyone, just my thoughts as a as an individual sitting here. Um, I mean it sounds like if it's if it's to the level of, of dysfunction and dysregulation, it sounds like some, some social anxiety, which is one of the most treatable, treatable things. Um, and I had a supervisor once said, if if I had to pick a diagnosis for one of my kids, if they had to had to have a disorder, i pick anxiety because it's so treatable, right? You can learn how to live with your, your body giving you that flush of adrenaline and the thoughts, what are they thinking of me? Through behavioral and cognitive work. And so the main, the main thing is exposure, working on getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, getting comfortable with embarrassment, because it's really avoidance of embarrassment. What if people see if I mess up, if I embarrass myself, I say something foolish and everyone looks at me and everyone knows and everyone's thinking and then I'm rejected and right it's this whole it's this whole scenario so you might do some imaginal exposure that you walk you know, you walk in and you say something silly in front of everyone and you get so embarrassed right and so you, you might do that because you might record it and listen to it, you might write it you might all these things I ran a social anxiety group where we went out into the world and did embarrassing things right because that's one of the main ways you can get over this is by with encouragement, right? The group members could encourage each other, right? People walking around the mall, dropping change in front of, you know, 10, 20 people and like, oh, scrambling around and picking it up on purpose, right? Or asking, walking up to people and asking them for directions, Um, walking into the pizza store and asking for a hamburger, right, Um, it sounds like Novartic, right? Like, you know, but doing the things that make you uncomfortable that you're you, you see if I did that I would just melt I would die I'd fall apart I'd I'd, I'd just become a puddle I could never do that and the building up to that sure you can and you recognize oh I can have that burning sensation of embarrassment and then nothing happens right and that's how you, un- you can't really unlearn you can learn on top of old learning as Michelle Krass would say with inhibitory learning right and you can habituate to things um, but you can have new learning oh when I get embarrassed, when someone notices that I'm anxious, when like the world doesn't end. And maybe I find little ways to lean into that on a day-to-day basis and I find opportunities. And if I see like, oh, I put on my mask on backwards or inside out, maybe I should leave it for an extra five minutes. Like when I feel the feelings, my mind tells me all the things. And then after five or 10 minutes, all of a sudden, like no one cares, like no one's noticing. And if someone says, oh, your mask backwards, like then what, what happened, right? but I leaned into it, I approached, I jumped into it. The mm. thing that, that scared me, the social situation, I jumped into them. That. And that's, that's the type of thing that you might learn to do, again, under the guidance of a therapist. If that's what it is, it could be agoraphobia, it could be PTSD if you were attacked in a crowd. Like, there's a lot of things that are going on. So I'm not making armchair diagnoses, but again, just to get a sense of how you might move towards a life that's worth living.
4: Well, let's just add one thing. That a person also has to have a sense of their own personal greatness. We were created in the image of Hashem. Hashem has this great love for Claudius Royal, and I'm a member of Claudius Royal, and I have such godly qualities in me. So the fact that I'm concerned about these things, and I, I really agree with what Dr. Miller said, but we also have to have a greater sense of my own validity, my own greatness, and that can go a long way to make me you know like it almost becomes less and less relevant because of how hush of I realize I am myself and that's something that the person I think has to work on and the people that surround that person should also work to give that person that sense of believing in himself or herself
1: yeah, let's jump into one more question it's actually on this topic it's a little bit different but similar and we have one more live question one more live question sorry Cohen, keeps on going how do we motivate and instill our values to our teenagers that that they do not feel connected or even sometimes are angry at the way the from community are treating them and they sometimes can feel social anxiety in from community settings.
4: Oi I thought we we're supposed to end at eleven thirty. <laughs> okay. okay. That so, would be 12 uh, the clock.
1: 1230.
4: Go ahead. What? The clock. Okay. Anyway, so I, I would like to say something very painful. And very, um, uh, and, and very unpopular. But uh, we have two options as a parent, either to lie to our children or to admit to the truth. Uh, we could lie and say, oh no, all the from people are acting properly. Everything is a hundred percent the way it should be. You know, that's a lie. And uh, if we lie to our children, we have destroyed the relationship because once you lie, there's no trust. And if there's no trust in a relationship, we talk about trust in Hashem, trust in human beings too. If I can't trust you, I can't relate to you. I can't have anything to do with you. You can't have any influence on me. So number one, we, we do have to admit to the problem to our children. Number two, when we admit to the problem to our children, we validate them. We make them feel that they're, they're not stupid. They're not wrong. They're not bad. They're, they picked up on something that's real. Now we have to explain it to them. we have to explain to them that everybody is human and just because a person uh, is religiously observant on one level doesn't necessarily mean that they're consistent in everything that they do, and that's the test in life and we have to look at ourselves and look at these shortcomings and rise above it so this is I think one way that we have to we have to approach this uh, we also have to um, we also have to, 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 to let them know that we don't know the challenges that other people face. For example, a certain behaviors, and I don't want to go into specifics, it would be totally inappropriate, but certain behaviors in parts of our communities are hereditary from the days of Europe when all the laws and the whole government and society were stacked against us. And they rose up with certain traditions and certain attitudes, and it takes a long time to readjust them. So we have to be down the kafskhus, not to say that they're right to be Don the kafskhus. And I'm fond of saying, just as a parent should be aware, um, they're, 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 they, the, the biggest excuse that used to be for a person to go off the derrick was when they saw the, the, the suffering of the righteous. That was the traditional ex- excuse. Today, I find it's more the behavior of the righteous that causes people to go off the derech. And by admitting to them that these people, when they act wrong, they're acting wrong. But we, we have to know that everybody has to work to better himself. They should know that the, if one follows the Torah's directives in its halochas, in its mitzvahs, in its midoys, then those things will not happen. And when they are happening, it's a shortcoming in people not following the Torah as it should be, not studying Musa, not learning Haloha, not, not spending enough focus and time and effort and energy. And I think in that perspective, it could, could uh, do some damage control in terms of not having such a massive effect on the Yiddishkeit. And by the way, if the parents are acting with their children in the proper way, that says a lot more. Sometimes as parents, we don't always act with them 100%. And then if the tinness of inappropriate religious people's actions or inappropriate actions of religious people is on the parents, that's the worst thing.
1: Children are very good at smelling out hypocrisy. But the best at the parents.
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: a natural, t- it's a natural uh, push. Let's go to one more live question, and then we're gonna to go to closing. Okay, one last question. You're on, kid.
5: Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay. Um, I want to focus on the type of anxiety where it's just a situational thing. Um, you'll know in your head, like we had mentioned, that you you know everything is Hashem, you know you know Hashem's taking care of you. But at that moment, I mean, any parents can relate. When you're running out the door, you're late for work. Your kids are late for school and one kid is missing his shoe, that, that anxiety that is, is through the roof, and you, no matter what you do, you can't find that shoe, how would you suggest bridging that gap? Because I, I sit there, and I talk to myself, and Hashem, I know this is all from you. I know I can get through this. But how do you really bridge that, that what your thoughts are into your emotions when you are skyrocketing, like, going through the roof? Yeah.
4: <sighs> I, I... I don't know, you have any aces for that? I have only one ace, but go ahead, you go first.
2: Okay, I'll go very quickly. But I mean, it sounds like you're describing incredible stress. And and I think it's really important to know that we live very difficult lives. We ask a lot from ourselves, right? We have big families and big tuition bills, and we have to live in, from communities where housing is expensive and, like just, there's so much to do. Most parents are both working and there's so much stress. And on top of that coronavirus and fears about our ch- our children and our families and our elder safety, there's so much happening that, that, that level of stress sounds like, yeah, like I get it. Right. And sometimes when, when everything just is finally like done, like it could, it could pay to take two minutes and sit in your car and just breathe before driving off to, Work or doing whatever you're doing for the day to take care of your family, because that that I, I don't I don't know that it's we have to um, make everything a disorder, right? It could just be I live a very very complicated life, and maybe we can reframe it as wow, look look what I have on my plate and what I'm doing. Look how important it. Is. Look how meaningful it is. And that's where even in the secular the the, the spiritual part of the model. Right, Viktor Frankl wrote *Man's Search for Meaning*. Jewish psychologist went to the Holocaust. Every uh, one of my supervisors said every breathing person should read that book, and, and uh, I definitely agree. I've read it many, many times. First session on logotherapy. Logotherapy, exactly. So, Viktor Frankl says when an arch is crumbling, right? But if it's a well-constructed arch, but it's falling apart, you don't you don't add supports. You actually add weight because that stabilizes the arch. And so finding the meaning in that moment of like, look how lucky I am. Like my, my, my child can walk. I'm like my everything. Like I have this family that I'm like, it might take till the situation's over. Yeah, because it, it's it's frantic and it's stressful and you, there might be worry on top of that and all of that. But like, I'm, like When you can sit down for a moment and like catch a breath and then like take the next step for the day when, you, when you're doing that, like find, look at how meaningful all of those interactions were. And the fact that you got to do all these things and care for all these people, right? The generations that you're creating, like, like put some weight on top of that arch of like, this is so meaningful. And maybe I even take it on myself, like, like I can, I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna, you know, like, I, I've got this. And this is so, so taking me closer to Hashem, right? Like, every, every sweat and tear that you shed, like, to get to put into our children or to whatever, like, that, that's all meaning on top of. Um, the, the
4: stress That's maybe. I would just like to add one thing uh, let's say about that shoe that you couldn't find at the very end there what if you knew that Hashem hid that shoe from you because what he wants to do is later in the day he wants to give you in your bank account $10 million okay. let's say you had that thought you were looking for the shoe you think you'd have a different attitude about that shoe I think she would want both shoes to be missing. <laughs> no, that's the max we're getting, only 10 million. Anyway, so, so in other words, if you look at it as a test from Hashem for my benefit, He has something in mind for me. Hashem does not pain people and create difficulty for them unless it's for the good. So He has some plan. If I could learn, and it's, it's to be learned, it's not something, again, you can press a button. But if I could learn to stop, or not even stop, but as things are going on, I say, "Oi, give out! I know this is from Hashem. I know this is. I know this for the good. I know He's going to pay me back big for this one. I believe that if we learn to do that and we take it seriously, we can calm a lot of these. Uh, even in the midst of the turmoil and and. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. Bor Hashem that this happened. Now I'm, who knows what's waiting for me today. I think that could be helpful. Okay.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Rabbi Kohn. Thank you, everybody. It's Chatzoy. So we're going to go to closing, okay? Okay. So again, I want to first thank Rabbi Shai Kohn for coming on tonight with my brother-in-law, Dr. Miller. And I have one question to ask Dr. Miller because I got a few of these questions. Dr. Miller. Can you name a few good books on anxiety, quickly?
2: Unmute. I'm going to give you names of authors, because most of them have written a few books. Okay. Allie Winston, and her co-authors, author is Martin Seif. Um, uh, Reed Wilson, David Carbonell, Russ Harris, and Claire Weeks, Robert Leahy. I read them all. I read them all. You read them all? Coach Menachem, when you send
1: out the email, we'll please add those people, those, those authors on so everybody can get the list of those books, okay? Just
0: we'll us send an email.
1: Got it. Okay, so again, I'd like to thank Rabbi Corner and Dr. Mishmilo for coming on this week. Uh, they gave us a tremendous amount of chizuk. Uh, definitely Rabbi And I think, you know, we're slowly every week trying going more and more and more. We're almost, we're almost at the top level. We're almost there. Um, big buzz. I want to tell everybody watching the program. Uh, the next few weeks were jam packed. Uh, we have a lot of big programs coming on next week. Is YY Jacobson and we'll discuss Simcha Sachayim? And we have, I mean, a lineup like, like, like really amazing. Uh, I don't want to give it all away, but uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabashkin's coming on. We've been through Blazer, Blazer Brody. So, the next few weeks are going to be a wild summer over here on the program. Everything tonight is recorded and is going to be available tomorrow on www. www.menachem burnfell.com and uh he's gonna send everybody an email with the link to watch over the whole show so everybody anybody who missed any part or wasn't on for the whole thing to watch it again i want to give a special thank you to all our advertising sponsors i'd like to give a special thank you to the lakewood scoop for every week pushing us here in lakewood and promoting the program i'd like to give a special thank you to robbie and yaniv from Khazak. hazak offers programs for children to teens singles couples millennials baby boomers and for all our cherished seniors hazak offers program and for all for more information to be part of it go to hazak.org A very special thank you this week to JCN Jewish Content Network, who does advertisements, Mrs. Hayla Kaufman, and her assistant Shmuel Summer, who actually pushed us this week in Yeshiva World. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we'll start with the first closing with Coach Menachem, followed by Dr. Miller and Rabbi Shaya Cohen. Coach Menachem, take it away.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. I want to thank um, Rabbi Cohen and Dr. Miller. The physics is unbelievable that I got tonight. And um, I want to tell everybody out there, first of all, Aborah uh, Hashem should help all of us with every level of anxiety, we should be able to connect the logic to the emotion, like we heard, It should be settled settle in. So while we're in the Nisayan, we should be able to feel a little bit of that Hashem is controlling and we're connected. And um, just one thing I want to add, why is it that only those who have disorder um, could go to those groups like uh, Dr. Miller runs, and then they have to go out there and do these exercises that uh, get them to go to the next level. I believe that every person out there should be in such a group or they should have their own um, challenges. Go do something that you're not used to. Get out of your comfort zone. And in the beginning, the first time you do it, you might think that, like Dr. Miller said, you might find yourself like a puddle, but you'll be surprised. Everything will be regular. You'll go on. And you go on to the next thing. And I'm talking to myself, you know, these challenges come up. We're scared. We're not sure. We actually do it. It, Usually it works. And if it doesn't work the first time, try it again. And this is how we grow. We get out of a comfort zone. Now, again, I'm talking as, as a coach. Now, sometimes we do need therapy and therapy medication, whatever it is. But as a coach, we should get out there, get out of the comfort zone and start growing Hashem should help us, uh, all of us, and we should get the chizik that we need. And thank you again, Rabbi Cohen and Dr. Miller and Oshi for running this program. Thank you. Thank you very much,
1: Coach Manaf Beautiful Closing, Dr. Miller.
0: Okay,
2: yeah, I I completely agree, Manafum, uh, that these tools are not just for disorder, right? We can there's there's positive psychology, there's acceptance commitment therapy, there's a lot of the books I named are are, are really to help. Um, everybody, right? The happiness trap by Russ Harris. Like, there's a lot of really great tools and ways to take this attitude towards thoughts, right? To diffuse from our thoughts and to notice them and go towards our values that are helpful for everybody, for sure. Um, so, I, I hope tonight that we were able to, to understand a little bit more about what anxiety is from that biopsychosocial model, right? The, what makes up um, the experience of anxiety that. In some ways, the process is a little bit clearer, even the idea that there is a process, that there's one thing that happens, and then another, and then I respond and then that does something, right? Just to kind of get a glimpse into, it's not a mysterious process, you know, like hidden thing and I have to dig deep into my psyche, right? It's, it's pretty logical. If you follow the steps and you have the right training, you can really understand what, what is happening to you, how you're responding is maybe making it worse or better or how you could make it better. And that um, there's there's a little more maybe willingness um, destigmatizing like the process that you would do in therapy that it's not going to be some some woo woo process that it's it's it, it's logical right and it makes sense, and yes it's hard and it takes willingness, and it might be more com- uncomfortable short term than long term, and that takes a willingness but like any growth thing right we talked about exercise before like. You know, I ran eight miles this morning. I didn't start running eight miles, right? I started with jogging down the block and then walking then jogging another block because it was hard and it it. I had to get back out there each time. And that's the way, that's why we grow in anything. And so whether it's CBT, whether it's other adjacent therapies, whatever it is that you need for what's going on for you, um, hopefully this also helped people know what to do and uh, where to go and do it. And um, thank you. For everyone who was here and thank you, Usher, for helping me to get here. It took a little, a little I to Push much. your
1: anxiety buttons, you know, to get you on.
2: You pushed all the buttons. Uh, thank you for, for encouraging.
1: Before ever, ever Shai Kohn gives us closing, I just want to say tonight we had a lot of people on. We had close to six or seven hundred logins. We had the most questions tonight than any share. And Rabbi Cohn, we, we we literally touched maybe 15% of the questions. So you're
2: gonna have to come back. I'm I leaned into my own exposure. I put up Mickey Mouse right before this, because I was avoiding. I was going to put the Mickey Mouse up last week. I was like, oh, I don't know maybe many people judge it. So tonight I was like, what am, what, am, what am I going to do? I'm going to talk about it, but I'm not going to live it. Mickey Mouse is right up there, helping my, remember my father. It's just, anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there. I do my own leaning in. I was
1: going to say again for, for tonight's show, again, I was learning that it mishmas. Father in Lord, Dr. Mills' father, Toby Ben Rabar Kyosev, and Dr. Mills' father in law, Shua Shalom Ben W. Yermiao. I'm sure the Shalom's had a big aliyah from helping so many hundreds of people on tonight and thousands of people that will watch it again or go on the podcast on Coach Menachem on Apple or on Spotify. You can listen to the Shirim. It's very, very chizik, it's, it's very interactive, and it's a tremendous help for everybody. And we really appreciate Coach Menachem for setting it up and for reaching out to all these people and getting them on. It's, it's a tremendous chizik. Rabbi Kohn? Please
4: okay. put them out of put them out of business. I'm that now. Last word. Okay, I'd just like to reiterate two things. Number one, Bitochen is a lifetime uh, endeavor to achieve. But remember the words of the Holy Chofetz Chaim: goydel kach goydel hat'slocho. That is not an all or nothing game. To the degree that I have reached, whatever degree I have reached, it's to that degree I will reach the success. And with the knowledge that to that degree that I've reached, I reached success, it also gives me a commensurate menucha Sanefish, which helps me to fight the anxiety. Point number one. Point number two, I'd like to mention something else. And that is, we mentioned this idea of nishmas, when a person has a tzorah. That if they're Mekabul, that when the tsurah is alleviated, they're going to say Nishmas in front of a minion, it has had amazing results to people over the generations. They they, they attribute it to Yehuda Chosid. The stipler was a big advocate of it, of it, and others. I would just like to suggest that what it really says is something else. That I'm saying now that I'm optimistic about the future. Not only am I saying I have Bitochen, but I have a plan of something I'm going to do. It takes that Bitochen and transposes it into reality. I'm now looking forward. This is going to be a result and I'm planning a party. I'm planning the menu, I'm planning the invitation list. It's a whole different story and it gives me something to look forward and something that tangibilizes this Bitochem that I have. And I would like to suggest, if you're interested in more information about it, there's a, a website that we set up, it's, it's, it's called saynishmas.com, saynishmas.com. And it's a campaign to get people to uh, sign up to say nishmas, there's no money involved or anything, so that when this sorrow that we have now is over, that people all over will be saying that, it gives them hope now, it gives them strength now, And it's certainly a big scoose that we should be saved from so many of our sorrows. Thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity. And Hashem should help you, you should be able to continue your wonderful work with a deep appreciation to everyone involved. And it's always a pleasure, Dr. Miller. Although I'm not used to
1: calling
2: you you Dr. Miller, but I can call Dr. way too much tonight. It's no shame. Okay. All right. Call to.
1: Good night. Bye, everybody. Thank Thank everybody. Thank 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 you. Thank you.